Now, if you have your scriptures with you, open them to uh, Mark chapter 1. And the passage is also printed in your bulletin. We do this as a, as a courtesy, just for those of you that, that may not uh, have your Bible with you. Uh, but the passage that we're going to look at today is printed in your bulletin, Mark chapter 1. And we're going to start reading at verse 9. So now hear God's word. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is present and believe, repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. In the church calendar, and of course as Protestants and particularly as Presbyterians, we don't make much of the church calendar. I, I like the church calendar. I think it's a helpful way for us to sort of, in a, in a grand way, order uh, our year around significant events in the church. What we don't often know is that today, which is the first Sunday before Advent, is Christ the King Sunday. Now, that's in the Western calendar, not the Eastern calendar. Uh, and what Christ the King Sunday is, is it is a day that was decreed by Pope Pius XI, Roman Catholic Pope, who decreed that this day, for Sunday before Advent, should be Christ the King Sunday. And he did this because from the Enlightenment to today and particularly at the change of the century from the 19th century to the 20th century, rationalism had really taken hold in the church and had almost gotten the church by the throat. And people were trying to explain away the realities of Christianity and biblical faith. And in response to this, Pope Pius decreed that this day was... Christ the King Sunday. And what he actually, what he called it is Christ the King of the Universe Sunday. And it was in part to show uh, a solidarity with the church in Mexico. Now, those of you that are familiar with the history of Mexico, and I'm trying to learn as much as I can about the history of Mexico. Uh, because I find it to be fascinating. We, we seem to be familiar with our own history, but not that of other countries. But one so close, it's good to know. Pope Pius saw something happening in Mexico that alarmed him. The government in Mexico in 1926 
decreed that supreme allegiance, ultimate allegiance of every citizen belonged to the government of Mexico. You had to pledge allegiance to the the government of Mexico in a way that superseded the faith. And there was an intense persecution of the church and religion and clergy at that time. And so a war broke out, a rebellion. It was called the Cristero War or Rebellion. Uh, It was also known as La La Cristiada. Many of you may know this. There was a film made about it back in 2012 with Andy Garcia called For Greater Glory. And it's a fascinating film. And the rebels in central Mexico primarily were fighting against the government for three years to uh, protect the church and, and to say, no, Cristo es el rey. Cristo rey. Christ is the king not the government of Mexico, and our supreme allegiance is to Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. Now, when I say that, I have to tell you, that really is a problem for us in the West, particularly in democratic societies. We have almost no connection with the idea of a sovereign, a king, who actually just simply because he says so, can command and decree things and make proclamations. That he's king and he's sovereign. He doesn't owe allegiance to anybody. Everybody owes allegiance to him. Supreme allegiance before anything else. And the rebels in Mexico understood this, and I think people throughout the history of the church has understood, certainly the Scottish Presbyterian Church did understand it. And when push came to shove, In the Scottish church, the faithful Scottish Presbyterians rebelled against the Church of Scotland who aligned itself with the English church and the the associates, they were called associates and covenanters, left the continent, left Scotland and came to the United States and founded the Presbyterian church. 1797. How do you like that? Pretty cool, huh? A little history lesson. There were people that knew that our only allegiance was to God Almighty and that every other allegiance to government or to any other, any other vow, if you're a doctor and you take the Hippocratic Oath or if you're a minister and you make a pledge, if I make a pledge to the Presbyterian Church in America, which I have, my ordination vows and all the elders and deacons have to do the same, even those vows are a subset of our primary allegiance to Christ the King. Amen. They reflect our allegiance to Christ the King. But again, in the, especially in democratic, egalitarian America, where everybody's equal and we have rights and tons of them, beyond anything that anyone ever imagined, it's very hard for us as modern Christians, 21st how do you get your head around a God who absolutely is sovereign, a King? And yet... This is the first Sunday before Advent. We're going to go into a time of great celebration. For what? Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. Every Christian, every faithful believer is going to in some way try to get their head around the idea that Jesus Christ is King, that He is Lord, that He is King of the universe. And this 
reality transformed the world and it is supposed to transform us as well. Christmas is often lost in the celebration, but the message that the king of the universe has come, that he has been born, and that his coming marks a cosmic shift in human history, and that nothing from the time of his birth and his life and his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and what we call his session, his seating at the Father's right hand and a scepter of righteousness being handed to him, from that time till now, nothing is the same in the entire cosmos, in the entire world. Jesus Christ is King of the universe. He is Lord. And it changes everything. But sometimes it doesn't change us. And so throughout this Advent season, I'm going to uh, spend all of my energy and all of my zeal, starting today, to help us think and see what it is that Jesus Christ, the King, what does that mean to us? Modern people who vote and elect our, we elect our officials. And the biblical model is exactly the other way around. Guess who gets elected? You. You don't elect him, he elects you. He gets to choose whether or not he wants you. How does that fit? How does that strike us? Why do you think modern people are so horrified with the doctrine of election? Scandalized by How dare you? It was never a problem before. But now it is. Well, we're not going to shrink from these things. In fact, I don't think you can be transformed otherwise unless you embrace Jesus Christ, the King, unless you settle it in your heart and mind that He is my sovereign. He commands me. He tells me what to do, where to go, how to be, and I will follow Him. And that's what our passage is today. The changes that Jesus Christ, the King, made are these. And I'm going to give them to you. There's more, but I'm going to give you these and then... Over the next four weeks, five weeks, we're going to look at all of these uh, in, in order. First, it changes our allegiance. Secondly, it changes our expectations. Thirdly, it changes our values. Fourthly, our priorities. And fifthly, our mission in the world. And today, we're going to talk about it changing our trajectory. In other words, you're going like this... And the king coming changes our trajectory. You're no longer going like this. You're going in a different direction. And we're going to look at it under three heads. Uh, And this will be your outline for today. The king's direction. What is his direction? And ours. Because if we're going to follow him, we better get behind him and follow his parade. And that's what Mark is talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about. The king's direction. Secondly, the king's gospel. What is that? and ours, and finally, the king's purpose, and ours. So we'll start with the king's direction, and ours. Every year that I've been here at Christ the King, 15 years now, I have reminded you at Christmas, theologian Michael Williams said this, uh, about the gospel in general, but particularly about Christmas. Listen, the general trajectory of relationship between God and his people is from heaven to earth. It's the flow of movement and energy, the direction of travel that we see in Scripture. You never, 
Not one time in Scripture do you see anybody out there looking for God. Where are you? Where are you? He comes down and interrupts everybody in their usual trajectory of life. He comes and stops them. Just go look at the biblical narrative. It's incredible. He finds people out in the wilderness. He finds them on mountaintops. He finds them shepherding uh, sheep out in the wilderness. He finds them in the land of Ur of the Chaldees and he calls them to come out. He finds them living in a world destined to be flooded and he tells them to build an an ark. He finds people and he brings them. The trajectory is from heaven to earth. It's not from earth to heaven. Listen to what he says. The biblical hope is not man going to God. It's not the ascent of man. Rather, the story of the Bible, of Christmas, is God coming to man in man's createdness, incarnation, virgin birth, in His redeeming, both man and creation. Both man and creation. So the king's direction, folks, the king's direction is from heaven to earth. Look at what it says there in the text in verse 9. Immediately it says. In other words, the wait is over. The wait is over. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, he uses the word immediately 36 times. Because he's trying to convey the coming of the king. The reality that the king had come. And immediately, cosmic change is afoot. Immediately, cosmic change is taking place in the universe, in the world, and in the hearts of people. In the here and now, eternity, in other words, in eternity, whatever's out there, imposes itself on the here and now. It comes in and imposes itself on the here and now. Look at verses 10 and 11. The heavens, the Greek actually says they are ripped apart. They are torn open. The same image of the veil being rent and torn in the temple. That same image of a splitting that cannot ever be put back together. The heavens are torn open. The Spirit descends like a dove. And there's a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son. This is my Christ. This is my anointed. This is my King. My Son, my King. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. And how is that that trajectory, that heaven to earth trajectory, is then... Uh, uh, spilled over into your life and mine. Listen, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. The, the, uh, the angels or Jesus told the apostles, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and to all the ends of the earth. All authority, he said, has been given to me, both in heaven and in earth. Now you go and make disciples. You go and baptize. You go and teach people all things that I've commanded you. You go. Do you see the trajectory? His from heaven to earth. Ours 
from earth into the rest of the into the rest of the world into the rest of the earth our direction folks listen carefully nothing has amazed me more than our tendency as christians to to hunker down and cloister and and hide ourselves in our little oysters and hope that all the bad people and all the bad things out there will go away. It's almost as if we don't ever look in a mirror in the morning. How are you going to get away from you? How are you going to get away from the sin in your own heart? How do you escape that? Maybe you can get away from all the bad people. Maybe you can hide out so that no bad people will get around you. But you should destroy the mirrors in your home. Because there's where the evil lies. It lies in the heart of man. And every Christian knows when he looks in the mirror, there but through the grace of God go I, like those bad people. Our direction, folks, the direction of Christians is not out of the world. It's into the world. We are, our trajectory is to move into the world. Not be of the world, but be in the world. To be participating in the world. To be bringing salt and light to the world. Not cloistering. Not hiding out. Not wringing our hands afraid at every new bit of news that comes on the television. No, we are to be the ones who are founded upon a rock, yes? Our lives are fixed upon a rock from heaven to earth. Our direction is not in, is not. It is into the world, not out of the world. And yet, at the same time, not of the world. Look at verses 12 through 13. This is what happened to Jesus. This is his trajectory, the trajectory of the king. Forty days in exile. Forty days in the wilderness. Forty days with the wild beasts. Forty days being tempted in the wilderness. Forty days of angelic provision. Not provision by mankind or any, but angels came. The illusions here, I know it's hard for us sometimes to get our heads around, but if you were a first century Jew and you were reading this story about Jesus going into the wilderness and being tempted by Satan and all that, you would have immediately thought back to where? Where would, you, would your mind have run instantly? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis Three, the Spirit descending, the Spirit hovering, the Spirit bringing order out of chaos, the Spirit hovering over the, the, the chaos and bringing love and light. Let there be light. The, the Spirit carrying Jesus into the wilderness to do what mankind failed to do, to push back the darkness. Satan, the exodus, the manna, the the angels providing for them in the wilderness, all of that points to the trajectory of the king. He didn't come from heaven to earth with an army. He didn't come to destroy. He came to bring peace and love and joy. He came to do battle with our enemies that we cannot defeat. On our own. He came to make us pilgrims and at the same time citizens. Now think about that. Pilgrims, but citizens. Pilgrims, citizens. Those things are opposed to one another. 
And yet, that's who we are. We are both those who are in the wilderness, but our foundation, our lives, think about this, our lives are rooted where? Where do the roots of our life go? They go into eternity, into heaven itself. That's where we get our strength from heaven to earth. This is why Jesus said, don't don't let your heart find its treasure on earth because here it can be taken from you. Put your treasure, put your roots there. Nothing can be taken from you. Nothing. And look at verse 14. He came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. He came from the wilderness. You see, he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted. He came from the wilderness into Galilee, into the promised land. And the first thing he said was, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is present. Why? Because the king is present. The king has come. And what does that mean? It means that every one of us are to repent, believe the gospel, and follow him. That's what it means. Repent, believe the gospel, and follow him. The king comes, and the reason he comes is to restore, reverse, renew, redeem, replenish the earth, And that's our mission. The king's direction from heaven to earth becomes our direction from him into the world to bring, to be salt and light, to bring peace, to bring, to be peacemakers in a world that is, I mean, folks, there's probably never been a time in American history except for perhaps the Civil War years that our church has been, our our nation has been more polarized with anger and hatred and vindictiveness that is unheard of. And a lot of it is in the church. And we can't let it stand. Right? Right? We cannot let it stand. If you feel your heart swelling with rage and anger every time you turn the news on, just angry about everything and the way that everything is going, just filled with hate and anger, something is wrong. The trajectory of your life is wrong. I know things are bad. Tell me a period of time when things were not bad for somebody on this planet. When? Has there ever been a time when people have not suffered somewhere? But see, we don't really care unless it's us that are suffering. It doesn't bother us too much. But when it starts to touch our idols and touch our little pet peeves, oh my goodness, we are outraged. And folks, this is one place, Christ the King is going to be one place where we're going to speak the truth in love to you, the people of God, and also to our community. And folks, I'll let, let the chips fall where they may. But I'll tell you what, I'm hoping that some of you will follow the trajectory of this king. I'm hoping you will. I'm hoping you'll say, no, I, I will let goods and kindreds go this mortal life, although the body they may kill, my allegiance is to Jesus Christ. 
and to Him ultimately and completely. Everything else has to fall underneath that. What about the King's Gospel? The King's direction, heaven to earth, the King's Gospel is repent, believe the Gospel, and follow me. And those of you that have been in our theology classes, I've, I've said this so many times, I'm almost ashamed to say it again, but this is the pattern of our lives. This is the Gospel in three words. Repent, believe, and follow me. That is the pattern of every one of your lives. Whether you're a little child, if you're a little kid, or you're an old person and you're, you know, one foot in the grave, like me. One foot in the grave. Your whole life is to be one of repentance, faith in Christ, believe in Jesus Christ, you shall be saved, and obedience, following Him. He, he said it all in these, just these few verses. Listen to what Dr. Steve Childers said. It, I, I, have, I have said this to myself a thousand times. Almost daily I have to remind myself of this. Write it down. Think about it. The gospel isn't just a gate I must pass through once, but a path I walk each and every day. The gospel isn't just something you go from, from here to here and okay, now I'm a Christian and I guess that's it. That's all. No, the gospel is a path that you're walking every single day. Every day of your life you're walking the gospel way, the gospel path. And that path is deep, heartfelt repentance. In other words, you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, wow, look at me. If people really knew me, oh, they'd run for their lives. But as you gaze into that image more and more, what gospel people will see, what believers in Christ will see, is slowly your image disappear and His cross appear, His face appear, and you know that you will be covered for your sin, that you are not to bear that guilt and shame. and There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, yes? There isn't any. And if you, if you pay attention to your sin, what Robert Murray McShane said, one of our great Scottish fathers said, for every look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. You see, you're looking at the sin, but what is the remedy to that sin? It's not you're trying harder. It's not you're being a better person. As good as that is, be better. I mean, come on. But that's not going to get that image to clear up. The only thing is going to be the blood of the Lamb. That will take care of the image. The gospel isn't just a gate I must pass through, but a path I must walk. And what is the reasonable response? Look at what he says. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately. Folks, you know, if, if, you're, if you're, I don't know, I don't know, maybe some of you have not done this yet, but if you're kind of sitting on the fence, you're thinking, yeah, I don't know if I want to really commit that I don't know if I want to really commit that. Chuck, Chuck sounds like a fanatic. He, he t- sounds like a fanatic. Well, I don't know if I want to commit that much. If I, I don't know. I, I need to think about it a little bit more. That's, that's not good enough. Say, oh my gosh, what do you want? Immediately. Every day when you wake up, folks, every morning when you wake up, immediately, you want God in your life, yes? Do you want to wait a few days? You know, I've never understood why Pharaoh... You know, Moses tells Pharaoh, 
when would you like the frogs to be gone from your land? And what did, what did Pharaoh tell Moses? Tomorrow. Why didn't he say like, right now? He said, tomorrow. What's up with that? Send them away tomorrow? I'm, I'm kind of getting, I'm, I'm liking these frogs. They're kind of nice around my house. No, immediately. God wants you to wake up in the morning and immediately have Him on your mind. When you're tempted to sin, immediately He wants you to think about Him and His cross. When you're, when you're feeling down, when you're depressed, when everybody in your life has betrayed you, or you've lost your job, or, or you got the bad report from the doctor, whatever it is, immediately He wants you to leave your boat and your career and your life and everything. He wants you to immediately turn to Him. Because there you will find refuge. There you will find safety. And there you will be set back on your trajectory. Yes? Whatever that is. Immediately. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Give Him everything now. That's the only reasonable response to a king. Now, in a democratic society, we can wait, we can debate, we can vote, we can vote people in, we can vote people out, we can be happy, we can be sad, we can go this way, we can go that way, we can, take, we can become a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, or we can decide to be an Independent. We can do anything we want. But in the sovereign kingdom of God, the only reasonable response to the king is what? Immediately. Immediately. Well, no, I think we'll vote. Oh, we'll have a caucus. Oh, we're going to have a committee. Or we're going to think about this or that. No, in the kingdom of God, when the king says, do, what do you do? Immediately you do. All you do is you look like the psalm says, I look to my master's hand like a servant to see his finger moving this way or that way. Psalm 131. I'm looking, looking, just looking. If he just moves his finger like this, I'm ready to go. All he has to do is like this. Just a little finger move. And I will jump. Because that is, how, that is what I want. I want to please Him above all things. My King, my Sovereign. The only reasonable response is right now. And the Gospel, that's going to put you in tension, folks. It's going to put you in tension with your own desires. It's going to put you in tension with everything around you. But listen to what J, uh, Hudson Taylor said, this great missionary of the China, China Inland Mission. Some of you know who he is. Listen to what he says. It matters not. I love this. It matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. It matters not how great the pressure is, but only where the pressure lies. As long as the pressure does not come between me and my Savior, but presses me to Him, then the greater the pressure, the greater my dependence is upon Him. Don't you love that? It doesn't matter how great the... Pre- it doesn't matter what kind of disappointment. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter if I have a, a good report on my medical or not. It doesn't matter if my bank account is in the black. Or, I mean, you do need to get it in the black. But it isn't... It, you know, I don't have to be controlled. The pressure, no matter how great it is, as long as it doesn't come between me and my Savior, the only thing it can do The only thing it can do is what? Press me closer to Him. 
Amazing. Yes, your obedience immediately following Jesus, you're giving your whole life to Him, you're committing and going all the way, even to the expense of your own life, will create pressure. Christianity is not for sissies. I, I talked to somebody last week and I told them, they, they were asking, they don't go to our church, but they're asking me, to, to, you know, I want to make my life better. I want to be a better person. I want to really get, you know, do things better in life. And Christianity seems like maybe an option. I said, you know what? Don't do it. There are lots of religions that are better at making you a better person. To, be, become a Muslim. Tomorrow you will be a better person. Because if you don't, you will die. You break the law, what do they do? They kick you out or kill you. Become a Mormon. You either obey or you're out, right? Become a Buddhist. It'll make you better tomorrow. Just follow their, follow their stuff and you'll be a better person. You know what Christianity does? You know what the gospel does? It takes us where? To the cross. Who wants to go there? It takes us to death. Jesus said, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, I'm the king. Unless you do that, you don't have any part with me. The gospel's going to take you places you never imagined, but they last to eternity not just for the here and now. What causes the great anxiety? Think about what causes the greatest anxieties in our life. Usually it's about an uncertain future. And the gospel, Jesus says, trust me, follow me, put your life in my hands, and don't worry about the future. I'll see to that. Because, why did he say that? Because, you can't make one hair on your head black or white, he said. You can't raise your, your height one inch more than it actually is unless you wear elevator shoes. You can't do anything to change the least little bits of things in life. Trust me. Trust me. And I will take you to a certain future, what Peter called a living hope. Wow. How do we do that? At the very center, at the heart of this story, in Mark and in Matthew and, and Luke, they all have the same account. But Luke really, I mean, Mark puts it pretty succinctly. At the very center of this is something that we generally jump over, and that is Jesus' baptism. Now, those of you that have professed Christ and those of you children that we have baptized as infants, Something happened, something really happened when we baptize an infant or we baptize an adult. Something really happens. And at the very center of the gospel is a baptism. Not yours and not mine, but his. The gospel starts with his baptism. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says this, this will blow your mind. He already, here in his baptism, he already indicates how he will become 
our Savior. By standing in the river in whose waters penitent Jews had symbolically washed away their sins. By Jesus allowing that water polluted with their sins to be poured over His perfect being. There. You want to know what the gospel is? It's a baptism. Not yours. His. It's Him standing in the same water that is polluted with our sin and having it poured over His perfect, spotless being, clothing Himself with our iniquity so that we could be cleansed and stand before God Almighty and see nothing on His face but a smile and open arms of welcome. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come, follow me. Follow my trajectory. I'm the King. Will you trust Him? This Christmas, I hope you will. The King has come. Let's follow Him no matter where it takes us. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy. And as hard as it is for us, Father, in this modern day to think of what it is to answer to a King, I pray that You will indeed give us that heart of submission that we pray every single day. Many of us pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it doesn't mean that we submit ourselves to you, then it doesn't mean anything. And so, Father, I pray that you will give us submissive hearts, that you will turn and change us into the men and women, the boys and girls, the people that you want us to be. Change our trajectory. Give us a new purpose to go out into this world, to serve this world, love it well, care for it, where we encounter darkness, bring light. Where we encounter death and decay to bring preservation and salvation. Help us, please. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. Amen.